Welcome. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive and a hard look at the Kohelet Policy Forum fiasco. What happens when a foreign-funded think tank becomes embroiled in Israeli democratic reform? This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. On Thursday, March 9th, the first national day of disruption in Israel, a small group of elite combat reserve soldiers entered an office building on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was just after 6 a.m., and they worked quickly. They had hauled up with them a number of sandbags and some razor wire, which were placed in front of the entrance doors to the Kohelet Policy Forum offices. The operation was quick, clever, creative, and effective. All day long, the television news and radio talk shows led off with the story of elite combat reserve soldiers barricading the Kohelet offices and then seven of them being hauled off to be formally arrested by the police. They were at the top of the news cycle for two days and drew immediate and nationwide attention to their protest. Just as they are trained to do in battle, these elite reserve soldiers, the heart, soul, and backbone of the IDF, who are doctors and lawyers and academics and tech entrepreneurs and fathers and husbands in normal life, have undertaken what they consider to be the most important battle of their lives, Operation Save Liberal Democracy in Israel. These warriors have led Israel in battle for decades and kept the country whole, often against dreadful odds. They are courageous, clever, and surrender is not in their vocabulary or character. They are programmed to love, honor, and defend Israel. And if that requires that they use what they call creativity, then that's exactly what they will do. Lawyer Yaron Kramer was among the organizers of the Kohelet demonstration. If all democracy are fighting for our freedom, there are people that are trying to change Israel 180% from being democracy to being dictatorship. And for me, it's quite obvious. So when we, you have to face this process, when you have to fight this intention of these people, you have to do things. Of course, as I said before, I'm not supporting violence from any kind. Not violent, and we are not going to be violent. But we have to be tricky. And we understand also that we are fighting not only on the street, but also in the media, in his work and outside. So we have to be creative, and we have to do things that will be creative. But one journalist to talk with us. We have people in Israel to see it and to go to the street to understand that what we are doing is also to support them and they are still sitting at home to come to Kaplan and to have run the place. Kramer refers in his comments to Kaplan. That's the intersection in central Tel Aviv where there have been weekly demonstrations every Saturday night for 12 weeks, protesting the so-called judicial reforms. If you saw yesterday, more people came to Kaplan. Why? Because we had this Thursday so we have to be creative, we have to change ourselves, we have to, to do things. And sometimes we have to, you know, to go for the limits and to do things that are maybe a little bit risky. Risky 
not so risky. Eh? It's not a war in, in the battlefield. We are not risking the life of anybody. Things like when we were kids, you know, to be Shovavim. You bitch, you come and, and and this is this is the world actually. So what happened in Kohelet? Yeah, some people came in the morning, put some sex with sand, and few sticks on the on the door. We were not and entered to to the offices or something, not harming people, not violent, nothing. That's being tricky, and shova. So, for my opinion. It's fair enough to do it. Just as in battle, the warriors are creative, taking full advantage of the element of surprise. The stakes in this battle are as high as they can get in a liberal democracy. If these reforms are implemented, complete control of the country will rest with the barest majority of the Knesset. Included in this omnibus approach to legal reform is a total overhaul of the judicial and legal systems. Much of the policy and legislation was drafted by the Kohelet Policy Forum, by their own proud admission. And, talk about surprise and ambush, the entire population of Israel learned about this plan to, quote, overhaul the justice system the day after the governing coalition was sworn in. No one spoke about it during the election campaign. There were references to the need for judicial reform, but the detail was withheld from the public. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization, and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv.com. Dot com and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thanks for being here. And now, back to the episode. The morning after the sandbag ambush, Kohelet CEO Moshe Koppel and legal scholar and professor Eugene Kontorovich expressed their indignation at the manner in which they had been targeted. In the Free Press, Barry Weiss's publication, on Friday, March 10, Koppel and Kontorovich published an article entitled Our Think Tank Sparked Mass Protests in Israel. We proudly stand by our ideas. Close quote. Okay. So what are those ideas that seem to be causing so much consternation among so many Israelis? Kohelet is very exercised by what it derides as an inbred clique of Tel Aviv leftist social groups and professionals that they say controls the judiciary and only promotes their own from within. And a natural consequence of all that is that they have hijacked the court and assumed authorities and jurisdiction with no legal or other constitutional basis. In fairness, much of the criticism that Kohelet levels at the exceedingly activist Supreme Court in Israel is actually not controversial. I have yet to meet anyone, even those dreaded Tel Aviv lefties, who disagrees with that. 
judicial reform, as with so many other policy issues, is long overdue in Israel. What is controversial, however, is the scope of the Kohelet proposals and the manner in which they came to the attention of the Israeli public. Regrettably, neither Koppel nor Kohelet responded to requests from the state of Tel Aviv for an interview, made almost one week ago. So it falls to me to interpret their written and other comments as best I can. In the short term, Kohelet has been the catalyst for massive social unrest, elite Air Force pilots and Army reservists refusing to serve, almost constant demonstrations all over Israel all the time. Then there's the unprecedented, almost incomprehensible, agreement and unity among all living former IDF and Israeli Air Force chiefs of staff, Mossad heads, Shin Bet heads, CEOs of major Israeli and international companies, CEOs of all top Israeli banks, top economists, former governors of the Bank of Israel, former national security advisors, business leaders. I could go on, but you get the point. 99% of this class of leadership has come out publicly, not only condemning the reforms, but warning that if implemented, the outcome will be disastrous for Israel economically, never mind socially or militarily. Tell me, are they all in the leftist social society Tel Aviv cliques too? Does this sound like something to celebrate? Among the protesters in Tel Aviv last Saturday night was Jacob Frankel, former governor of the Bank of Israel and current chair of J.P. Morgan Chase International. Does the Kohelet Policy Forum refer to Jacob Frankel and the aforementioned individuals when they write in their free press article that those opposing the reforms are acting out of self-interest only? That they are small-minded supporters of the juristocracy who are endangering the country's economy and security to get what they want? Kohelet Policy Forum rages at the protesters for shutting down traffic, even, quote, in some cases, not showing up for reserve service to create a short-term crisis that they in turn invoke as a new reason to preserve the status quo, close quote. Those are Kohelet's words, not mine. Would Moshe Koppel and Professor Kontorovich say that to Jacob Frankel? Former Mossad chief Yossi Cohen? Talk about gaslighting. State of Tel Aviv is supported by people like you. But creating quality, independent content requires resources. And I'd really appreciate it if you would support our work by becoming a paid subscriber. This is a particularly intense and important time in Israel. We will bring you real stories in real time that are shaping the nation. Thanks, and now back to the podcast. The fact is that by implementing their proposal, which they have been advocating for years, they have promoted and sanctioned the dismantling of democracy in Israel. Here's why. The Kohelet proposals endorse the absolute political control over all judicial appointments and senior officials in the Ministry of Justice. That heralds the end of liberal democracy. No checks, 
no balances, no accountability. Sound dramatic? Not at all. The appointment proposal means that whoever controls the coalition controls who gets to the bench. Partisan purity will be the most important qualification. Furthermore, the Knesset will pass a law stripping the Supreme Court of its power to judicially review or otherwise consider any laws. Only if all 15 Supreme Court judges agree will a Knesset law be modified or repealed. That means that absolute power will vest in the Knesset. No upper chamber, no Supreme Court with any meaningful power. That is not democracy. That is what Kohelet proposes. On Wednesday, I met my landlady to discuss lease terms for the coming year. That part was quick. Then we got into this craziness and uncertainty that has overtaken Israel. And out of the blue, she asked me, Who are these Kohelet people? Do you know anything about them? Everyone is asking about Kohelet. Who are they? Here's what a fifth-generation elite combat reservist soldier, who was, until very recently, a proud Likudnik, and who is also neither Ashkenaz, nor does he live in Tel Aviv. Here's what he has to say about the Kohelet Policy Forum and the way in which they operate. Look, the... You know, we live in a democracy. We still live in a democracy, and we're not... I mean, this will, will, will stay as a democracy. We'll make sure that it stays as a democracy. But when one like me that was born and raised fifth generation in Israel into democracy and took it for many years for granted, I mean, if you would tell me even four months ago that this is a discussion we're going to have today, I would look at you and say, you know, what were you drinking or smoking or what fell on your head? I mean, the where we are today has to do with unethical, undemocratic, from my opinion, also involvement of a third-party body that is financed by external uh, individuals in the United States of America to people that, I believe, I mean, funded, that live in Philly, that basically created a machine to change Israel. It's a machine that, first of all, did the research, and now we're learning that the research was not deep, deep enough, not well learned, not based on the right figures, and not based on the right facts. Then they paid an army of lobbyists to bring it into a house, and into the homes of our Knesset members, and into the homes of the decision makers, and into the home of the um, like a adult of their house. And then they did the same to bring it to particular groups of influence within the public. This is a machine that worked and worked violently to change Israel from the Israel that I know, Israel that was one of the top countries in the world economically, a, an island in the Middle East of democracy, an island of sovereignty and of rationality in the Middle East. These two people, or a few people from Kohelet, are trying to make a revolution in Israel. And revolutions are not accepted 
revolutions from an external parties that are not even, don't even have the courage to identify themselves and the one standing in the front are not to be made here, not appreciated, and we right now see them responsible. The long arm of one day the Israeli authorities and the long arm of the Israeli public will come to see what that, to expose them in their one call homes in Philly. I mean, the resources to get involved in somewhere where, where it's not their territory. With all due respect, this is not their territory. They're still a party. When someone from the outside comes into the inside to make an influence, this is violent. It's not given to them. That authority is not given to them by citizenship. It's not given to them by, you know, serving the country, paying taxes here, sending their kids here, not contributing to the Israeli economy. They're contributing only for one thing, for the destruction of the modern democracy, the only modern democracy in the Middle East. Thanks for tuning in to the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. If you enjoy our work, please rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our Substack page, which is stateoftelaviv.com. That's State of Tel Aviv, all one word. Dot com. Whatever works. Your thumbs up makes a huge difference. For real. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to the podcast. Yossi, the former elite combat soldier speaking in these clips, has the same rancor towards other foreign-funded NGOs that finance legislative change and activism in Israel. But he sees something particularly offensive and nefarious in what has transpired with Kohela. This is not anymore something innocent. This has a very strict direction. It has a very, like, you know, a machine that is well-oiled and doesn't have limits or stops. I don't mind someone trying to bring their opinion, but when someone is trying to push the train from the back and steer them in a different direction and put their, like, unlimited amount of gas and oil and I mean, and change the, the driver of the train. This is actually hijacking the state of Israel. It's not hijacking the law. It's hijacking the, the state of Israel and steering it in a very, very different direction than what most population wants here. The, it, you know, the, when Israel was like established, this is not where the train was going. And they're trying actually to steal Israel away from the people that own it. And the people that own it are Israelis. It's not two guys from Philly. Yossi made reference to the quality of the research and work done by Kohelet Forum. And I thought I'd discuss the quality of Kohelet Forum's work on Canadian law in particular with law professor Adam Dodek, who teaches at the University of Ottawa Law School. Professor Dodek also specializes in Canadian constitutional law and knows a fair bit about the Israeli justice system as well. He had heard of Kohelet, by the by, but it wasn't until an op-ed piece by a lawyer associated with Kohelet, Avraham Shalev, was published in the Jerusalem Post at the end of December, and which is featured today on the Kohelet website with a photograph of the Canadian Supreme Court building. That was when Professor Dodek became very engaged. He was furious, he recalls, with the inaccuracies throughout the article with respect to constitutional law and standards in Canada. The article seems to strain to present the reform proposals in Israel 
as being very similar to what exists in Canada. In doing so, they rely extensively on comparisons with Canadian constitutional and judicial systems, including appointments, according to Professor Dodek, about which they appear to know very little. You know, my focus is really, I'm a Canadian constitutional law professor who spent some time in Israel. I've been writing and working and teaching about the Canadian constitution, including to Israelis from time to time over the course of the last 25 years. So my, my knowledge is really about the Canadian constitution. I know about, you know, I have worked in Israel and specifically working on the Canadian constitution and also learning about the Israeli constitution while I'm at it. But my knowledge about Kohelet is really restricted to the research that, and the advocacy they've done relating to the Canadian model, Canadian constitution, the Canadian judiciary. Inaccurate or not, Kohelet's strategy seems to be, hey, if this is what Canada does and has, how can you say that Israel is not democratic? And it cannot be a coincidence that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said just that when interviewed in January by CNN's Jake Tapper. Blame Canada, as the old spoof goes. Who briefed the Prime Minister? Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on CNN in an interview with Jake Tapper a month or two ago and... You know, he said, look, what we're talking about is exactly what they have in Canada. And my understanding is, I don't think that Prime Minister Netanyahu got that quite right. What do you think? Well, I think that there there's no question that Canada's notwithstanding clause is the inspiration for the proposed Israeli override. And that's why it's often referred to as the Canadian override. And this is not a new policy development or policy proposal. Former Minister of Justice Ayelet Shaked had proposed adopting the Canadian override when she was Minister of Justice in 2014, 2015. I was on sabbatical in Israel at that time and, and wrote a long article for the Israeli Law Review about the Canadian override, which was really about, you know, Canadians don't like their override. So when you're thinking about that as a model, you should really take that into account. I think it's hard to separate a constitutional model, meaning like the structure or words on a paper, from how it actually works in practice. And that involves constitutional practice, political culture, etc. And so that for various reasons, the Canadian override or the notwithstanding clause, as we call it in Canada, has been rarely used until the last five years and is generally quite unpopular. In fairness, several weeks after the brouhaha over their proposals had become public, Kohelet backed off the override thing and said they never actually favored that. Several weeks later. Professor Dodek has studied Kohelet's writing on Canada with the scrupulous attention to detail one would expect of an eminent scholar. The piece is riddled with inaccuracies that reflect a basic lack of understanding as to what the Canadian system actually is, as Professor Dodek explains. And then 
you know, the other things that sort of flow from that, I think, are, I would charitably say, incomplete analyses of Canada. And, you know, this this sort of leads me to to why I'm speaking to you, why I've I've been prepared to to speak publicly a matter of Israeli public policy or Israeli democracy, because Canada, as you noted on, as you've noted a couple of times, Canada, the Canadian model, the Canadian override has been central in this more than public policy in this political dispute that's raging in Israel. And I think sometimes, like in this article, often has been misrepresented or simply got the law wrong. Among other things, the article states that prior to 1982, when Canada adopted the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, that legislation could not be struck down by the Supreme Court of Canada. That's 100% wrong. Any first-year Canadian law student would know that that's wrong. The article further explains that the powers of the Attorney General and their civil servant deputy are defined in the Constitution. Again, that's simply wrong. The civil servant deputy is not even mentioned in the in the Constitution, 1867 or, or 1982. The Attorney General of Canada is not mentioned in the Constitution. Picky, you decide. But when a think tank holds up an article as being an authoritative validation of their policy and how it is no different from Canada's, it's really important to understand the context and get the basic facts right. Furthermore, as many have commented, you cannot cherry-pick little bits of how things are done in America and Canada and New Zealand and here and there. Context and national culture matter significantly. Dodek explains this beautifully, drawing on a French concept. The one thing I would say about constitutional transplants is that they are, you don't often get what you think you're going to get by transplanting part of the constitution from another country. And that's for various reasons. One of the most frequent problems is just getting the law wrong, right? And so Kohelet, certainly when it comes to to its superficial analysis of the Canadian Constitution and how judges are appointed in Canada, etc., has simply got the law and the system wrong. So maybe they're, they might transplant, be trying to transplant something from Canada, but get it wrong, you know, sort of get it wrong. The other problem is that, you know, the, the French have something called terroir, the idea that when you, you grow wine, it's really impacted by like what's in the soil, right? So people know that if you, you know, you can have the same grape in the south of France and in the Negev, you're not going to get the same wine, but it's the same grape, right. right? You know, another big example might be you have this recipe from your grandmother, Right. Grandmother makes this great dish, right, whether it's cholent or whether it's, you know, some baking and yet and she writes down the recipe for you. But it just doesn't taste the same. That's because she's not as good as ingredients. That's because she leaves out an ingredient. (laughs) Maybe because she left out an ingredient or her oven is there's something different about her oven, the heat, etc. There are these differences in the environment and that that frequently happens 
in constitutional trends. And so that's also something to be to be cautious about. You you even if you get the law right, when you transplant something, there's a different terroir, there's a different culture, atmosphere, system, ethics, values, and that's going to impact how that transplant grows. Professor Dodek cautions that the Canadian experience is not as peachy as the Kohelet Policy Forum and others may present it, concluding that the Canadian model is riddled with controversy. And I would say that's not a great model to be, to be thinking about. Israel's crisis, it deepens daily. President Herzog's People's Plan, presented a week ago in a televised address to the nation, was his plea for all parties to pause this madness and sit down and talk before the country descends into civil war. On the heels of his address, Kohelet Policy Forum issued a statement with their recommendations for compromise. I would suggest that when you are exposed and the source and target of so much rage and mistrust as they are now in Israel, when you become the story and the target of the protesters, you have lost credibility and you are a liability, not an asset to the client, which in this case happens to be the coalition government. I would assume that at the moment, no one wants to hear from Kohelet Policy Forum. As I record this on Thursday morning, I've received dozens of messages about the civic chaos unleashed all over Israel on this third consecutive day of disruption. In these protests so widely endorsed by most of the population and the country's leadership class, not just the leftist cliquey social climbers in Tel Aviv. And yet, Kohelet brags as they do in their headline in the free press. Our think tank sparked mass protests in Israel. We proudly stand by our ideas. To each his own, I guess. Ideas are one thing. Implementing ideas in a complex environment so that they will be widely accepted and lead to real change? Well, that's quite another. And I give Kohelet a big fail on the big picture. Their ideas and strategy are tearing Israel apart. That is nothing to be proud of. And on that note, we wrap Episode 5 of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. It would be great if you would like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Check us out at stateoftelaviv.com on Substack, where you will have access to our full library of content for a limited time only. We are truly independent. We don't just say it, meaning that you will be exposed to views from across the political spectrum at stateoftelaviv.com. Me? I'm all over the place, but generally a solid centrist. State of Tel Aviv is supported by its listeners and readers. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Each member makes a huge difference. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. Until next time, stay cool, stay safe, 
Have a great weekend.